you need to set a vision as to what you're trying to accomplish. When I was young, my vision was to be the best. Someone has to be the president of the United States. Someone has to be Warren Buffett. Someone has to be the number one sales rep in the company. Figure out your level of vision and hold on tightly to that. Once you have that vision, then the next step is the commitment to that vision. To fully commit and saying, I'm going to do everything in my power to execute this vision. And once you make that commitment to yourself, to your family, to others, to your manager, to whomever, to your mentor, the next step is the actual initiative as to how to get there. What are the specific steps that you must take to accomplish that vision that you just set forth? And now, once you have that initiation of what you must do, then it's getting others on that journey with you. Join me on this journey. Join me on this journey of becoming the best. Those are the inspiring words of Michael Arietta, an absolute superstar in business and in life. Michael's pattern of top-level success has carried through from his days as a record-setting Cutco sales rep in college to his years helping build DocuSign from an unknown new company to a $15 billion market valuation. He's a highly successful angel investor, a family man, and the co-founder of a brilliant nonprofit. Now, Michael is starting his own holding company for the purpose of buying and transforming service businesses to bring greater opportunities and benefits to more people. Michael Arietta is one of the finest examples of all-around success that we've ever been able to feature on this podcast, and he's only 31 years old. Get ready for some brilliant insights for exponential career success from the amazing Michael Arietta. Welcome to Changing Lives, Selling Knives. I'm your host, Dan Cassetta. There's a generation of entrepreneurs and business leaders out there right now who are positively impacting the world using lessons and skills that they first learned from selling Cutco knives with Vector Marketing Corporation. This podcast was created to share inspiring stories from Cutco's most prominent alumni and current leaders. On this show, you'll meet successful entrepreneurs, best-selling authors, superstar business executives, and transformational leaders from many walks of life. All our guests will have two things in common. One, they're all changing lives today through their work and their influence. And two, they all started out selling Cutco knives when they were younger. The lessons of the Cutco Vector experience are numerous, are compelling, and are real-world concepts for business and life. Through hearing real-life stories and hands-on experiences, you'll gain insights that can help you in whatever it is that you do in life. Thanks for pressing play. Let's get on with today's episode. Welcome to the podcast, everyone. You are in for a special treat today. We have an amazing guest named Mike Arietta. Mike was a Cutco rep from 2005 to about 2011. He started shortly before starting college. Started with Kathy Vasquez, now Kathy Kristen, in South Florida with the company. And his first year, he was the number one new rep in the company, won the Silver Cup in what's called the Rising Star category. He is a student at University of Alabama. And during several of his summers during college, Mike went up to the New York City area to sell Cutco and worked with the legendary Michael Cassetta during those years. 
So his uh, roots in the Cutco business have some uh, pretty amazing mentors as a part of that. After graduating from Alabama, Mike got a job with Wise, which was purchased very quickly by Dell. And he worked at Dell for a couple of years, parlayed that into an incredible opportunity at a company you've all heard of called DocuSign. And initially, Mike was the chief of staff to the CEO of DocuSign, Keith Kroc, and uh, was in that role for a few years before becoming a global VP at DocuSign in charge of several business units there at the company. Uh, when Mike joined DocuSign, their valuation was basically nothing. He, along with several of the other key leaders at DocuSign, helped build them to the point where they IPO'd at a $3 billion valuation two and a half years ago. And today, the company is worth about $15 billion. Mike Arrieta has been a key player in making that happen. He was selected to Forbes 30 under 30. He also, during the years at DocuSign, founded and developed a nonprofit called New Story, which we'll talk about today. During his latter years at DocuSign, he began getting involved in angel investing, which we'll also talk about today. That has led him now to leave DocuSign and to start his own private equity company called Garden City. We got a lot of ground to cover. This is an amazing guest that we have for you today. Mike Arietta, thanks so much for making time to be on the podcast. Thanks, Dan. Really, really excited. I love Cutco. So any opportunity I have talking about it makes me happy. Yes. Well, let's just start by talking about Cutco then. Tell us about your time in the company and some of the uh, lessons you learned that you feel have helped you have such a great career. Yeah, absolutely. A friend of mine was in Cutco when I was there before college. And I was really looking for an opportunity to make more money. Uh, my family was having some difficulties uh, financially as well as medically. And so I was looking for a career really that could help my family. And I tried to do other things uh, prior to such as working in sandwich shops and working in restaurants. And I thought I was killing it being a waiter, right? And so forth. And my friend that was at Cutco was just like, hey, you could really control your own destiny and as successful as you want to be, at least in this period of time, you could be extremely successful if you really focus, 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 and you learn and, and you learn the in and outs and you learn the ropes. And so that's how I got involved. And so I started really just working with my friends and family and just um, using those really trusted resources and people that wanted to just put wind behind my sails and see me succeed. All right. So it started out that way, high level. And then I just, I've always realized the power of referrals more than anything. I think that was just a natural thing that I kind of realized was, yeah, getting big orders is good, but the longevity, a sustainable path is I'll quickly run out of people to see if I don't have solid referrals, right? And so I really was hyper-focused always on having a heavy, heavy, heavy concentration focus on referrals, referrals, referrals. And that's really what just led me to kind of really getting involved with Cutco, getting off to a good start, having a great, 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 great manager, Kathy. I mean, I was so young and she just taught me so many great things around sales and building rapport and negotiation and all that stuff. So it was a great year to start off. Yeah. So you were the number one new rep your first year. During college, you were the number one college All-American several times. I mean, you had a really, really awesome uh, run during your years selling Cutco. What do you feel like were some of the keys that made you so successful as a young rep? Yeah, it's funny. Like uh, As I'm launching uh, Garden City now, my new company, 
all my investors always ask me, like, hey, what was your secret in Cutco? Like, everyone asks me that literally at least once a week. And my answer always changes because, as you know, Dan, and as if you ask LeBron James or you ask Michael Jordan or anyone, kind of, what was your secret? They'll probably give you a different answer every time because there is no secret, right? There's just an entire, an entire plethora of things that have to come in perfect harmony. But some of them off the bat was, honestly, I felt like I had to right? Kind of the situation that I was in. I don't know if I told myself that I was in that situation or not, but I really felt as though my family was counting on me to deliver, right? So I knew the impact of what it would mean if I could at least pay for my own overhead so that I didn't put that burden on my mother and father, right? And so it was not a nice to have. It wasn't a couple of extra bucks for me. It was, I had to do this. There, Mm. There was no other way. So I think that if getting yourself to that mindset around th- this is not a nice to have, this is a must have, right? Um, I think that mindset attitude was absolutely sacrosanct. It was critical. Another thing was I come from a family that's never, I don't know, probably the most our family's ever made in household income was $50,000 a year, right? And so I was never exposed to lawyers and doctors and business owners and entrepreneurs. And so I was naturally curious about everything. So what is called in our business world, even till today, building rapport. I never knew what the heck rapport meant until a couple of years later. I always spelled it wrong. First of all, I never knew it was called. It was <laughs> Everyone, all these smart people always like, oh, you're really good at building rapport. I was like, yeah, thank you. Thank you. I never knew what it was. And but all that it meant every time people went shadowing with me, they'd be like, you're really good at building rapport. I wasn't trying to. I was just curious about like, wow, so you're a doctor. What type of doctor? How long did you go to med school? Did you meet your wife in medical school? So she went to medical school. So what does she do now? So what type of law do you or what type of medicine do you practice now? How long? Oh, you started your own practice? Wow, that's neat. How many doctors do you got? Oh, you're a lawyer. Okay. And I would just ask and ask and ask and ask and ask. And so by the time we were 15, 20 minutes into an hour appointment, their guard would quickly come down because we were building rapport. Right. And so I think that was a critical thing rather than just coming out of the bat trying to talk about selling knives. Right. So that's probably the second thing I'll mention. The third thing is that out of the gates, I would always, I would always set the tone of what success looks like to me. And I still do this almost every meeting. I mean, as you and I were preparing for the podcast, that is something that was going through my mind. What does success look like in this podcast, right? And so as I'm going into an appointment or meeting with John and Susie, and I'm sitting there in front of them, I'm like, hey, Dan, what success looks like to me is not you buying a whole set of knives. Sure, if you want a set of knives, you probably cook a lot. Your knives probably are not the best, right? It's something that you do probably more than you do anything else. You probably want a set, but if you don't, that's not success to me. What success looks like is I need people to see. Because I know if I see the right number of people, I will eventually sell the right number of knives, right? Which that is success to me. But what success looks like for our appointment today is if I do a good job and you appreciate the presentation I put on, because I put a lot of effort into this and making it productive, making it concise, making it effective, is that you would just uh, introduce me to a couple other people, 10, 15 people, right? I mean, does that sound okay? Does that sound like success to you for today? Like you don't have to buy anything, but if you kind of appreciate what I do, you can refer me to some people. And they would immediately, as you know, especially the head of the household, the moneymaker of the household, they would always have their fist up, right? Psychologically speaking, saying someone's coming in to sell us something, right? People are getting sold left and right through social media and everything else these days. Back then, it was not social, but people always had their guards up. So when I said that, 
immediately their cars would come down and then they would be like, okay, talk to me about what you have. Because they knew what success would look like as recommendations. They could give me that. They had that currency. Mm-hmm. So when the guard was down, they would be a lot more open and receptive towards, talk to me about your knives. Talk to me about the problem. Cut this rope. Cut this penny and so forth. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that, that was a real gold nugget for referrals that I think Cutco reps and anybody else could take from this conversation. Uh, that was just really, really good just to sharing that at the outset of, of uh, connecting with someone. I love what you talked about in terms of the curiosity that leads to rapport, right? I mean, it, it goes all the way back to the, you know, Dale Carnegie, How to Win Friends and Influence People, where he talks about genuine interest in others being a real key right, to connecting with people. And, and uh, you developed that curiosity and you exhibited that with your customers and, and that enabled you to, to make those great connections. And I also just love what you said about that you had to succeed. There's a, a concept that was shared in a recent one of my podcasts with one of the top current Cutco sales reps named Deanna Scortino, where she talked about raising your necessity level, right? What is your necessity level for achievement in what you're doing? Right. Not just something that you want, but something that you must have. Right. That's the way that you put it earlier. And, and I just feel like that mindset is critical for success for sure. Yes. I mean, I just believe, and the older that I get and now having children and whatnot, is you need to set a vision as to what you're trying to accomplish. Period. Right. You have to set a vision. And nowadays we're bombarded with too much information, too much content, too much knowledge, and we try to overcomplicate stuff. And so when I was young, my vision was to be the best. Simply, I want to be the best rep, period, right? I want to be the best rep. And so that was the vision. So it all starts with your vision, right? Once you have that vision and it's crystallized for you, that's very, very clear to understand, then the next step is the commitment to that vision. Right, to fully commit and saying, I'm going to do everything in my power to execute this vision. Mm-hmm. And once you make that commitment to yourself, to your family, to others, to your manager, to whomever, to your mentor, right? The next step is the actual initiative as to how to get there. Like what has to be true? What are the specific steps that you must take to accomplish that vision that you just set forth? And now once you have that initiation of what you must do, then it's getting others on that journey with you. Right? It's getting others on the journey with you saying, look at where we're going. Look at where we're going. Here is the course that we're going to, right? Join me on this journey. Join me on this journey of becoming the best, right? And so I still have my Cucko book. I'll never, hopefully my great, great grandchildren will never throw it out. And it's, it's such a prized possession to me. And as I looked through it, it was all vision casting. Every single page was, I used, it looks hideous today, but I used to grab markers and say, here's the vision to become the number one sales rep. In the company in the summer. Here's the number one vision to become the number one sales rep in the company in the next summer. Here's the vision to be the number one sales rep in this push contest, right? And it was a vision. Do you want to join me in this vision? Because I'm going to get there with or without you, but to have you alongside and put the wind behind my sails and join me on this, right? That's going to be something special. Mm. Right? It's going to be something bigger than this one day. And I want to look back and say, because of you, I accomplished that, right? And so it goes the same thing with really with anything in life. So it is that mindset, but it's crystallizing that vision, that purpose. Yeah. And and definitely when you're sharing those aspirations with other people, it just gives them more of a reason to get behind you and support the cause, you know, and it it can help take people past being hesitant, whether they want to buy something to actually say, well, you know, okay, I I do like this. And, you know, it seems like a good idea. And, uh, you know, I'm helping this person to achieve this vision that they have for themselves. That's going to be so inspiring to other people as well. So 
It's cool. Nice. Well, it was great to see you have such awesome success at Cutco. So after you graduated from University of Alabama and you uh, started out with the company called Wise, which was acquired by Dell, and you had a pretty nice run for a couple of years there at Dell. Can you tell us about that? Yes. So there was a critical inflection point after college where, I mean, financially, I was doing great, right? Making six figures every single year in college, obviously, just just really focusing on the summer, the semesters. And so when I left, when I was graduating college, the big decision that I was faced with was, do I continue to do Cutco, which is a great option, right? And uh, continue to make that a career for me? Or do I want to go down another path where I have to take two or three steps backwards in hopes that I will take 10 steps forward, right? And I've seen both work out quite well. Right. I've seen some friends of mine that are still a cutco and they're making a great, great life for themselves. Right. And I've seen some people that have done what I did of having that passion, having that intuition to take a couple steps backwards in hopes of getting to the point of what you made someday in cutco. And I would say to anybody, right, that only you really know that answer. It's a difficult one to make. Only you really know that answer and seek wise counsel. Internally in the company, sure, right? But also just externally, right? People that you really admire their life and their character and their values. Not just people that you admire that have money or people you admire that have something that you covet or something like that. People that you really admire their life, get their wise counsel. And that's what I did. It was a really difficult decision for me because when I was a senior in college, I was saying, man, I'm making, I don't know, again, over six figures. And all the jobs that are coming out of school is offering me half of that, right? If I'm lucky. So... It was really difficult for me, but getting good, uh, wise counsel, I was able to make that decision. And so when I moved out to Silicon Valley, I joined a startup called Wise. And uh, the CEO, he just heard about what I did at Cutco. And what I did not want to do was go to a company where I was just another serial number, where they would just throw me an inside sales pin and just say, crank out the phones. I feel like the experience that you get at Cutco, especially at the level that I was fortunate to play at, it's real experience. I mean, it is full-blown, real, real, real experience. You're producing a book of business from scratch. You're calling people. You're closing them. You're negotiating. You're selling up. You're selling down. You're getting referrals. You're creating packages. I mean, you're managing a real book of business. And I just wanted to be sure that skill set didn't go to waste. And that CEO of Wise, he really understood the value of Cutco. So he gave me a great opportunity. And awesome. so, so that would be a really big point that I would make is that if you are or when you do make that transition, just make sure that you do join a company that is valuable and that appreciates what you did at Cutco. And then, yeah, we sold to Dell. About a year and a half later, we got very, very blessed to sell to Dell for about a billion dollars. It was Dell's first billion-dollar acquisition. It was their first cloud computing acquisition. And then I really got lucky to get an opportunity to become uh, one of their chief of staffs. Wow. So what did you do there at Dell for those couple of years? So I was uh, responsible for a couple things. Uh, one of the biggest primary objectives was the uh, integration of our acquisition. So they acquired Wise. We were a software platform that did cloud stuff, and we had to integrate that. So that means there's two sales reps, both in Atlanta, Georgia. How do we do that? There's two CRM systems. How do we do that? There's two processes. How do we do that? 
there's so forth. So there's a lot of duplicate efforts. And I didn't know a lot of it, honestly. And I was very, very, very young. But Dell fortunately provided me the platform to learn that. And again, with Wise Counsel and my CEO that I reported to, he really just shepherded me through and he educated me through. And it was a great learning lesson as to what I didn't know. I think the biggest thing is I was not humble at all during this point in my life. I came out of Cutco thinking I was king of the hill and I just knew everything. And I didn't. I didn't know a lot at all. And as you know, Dan, the older you get, the more you realize how much you don't know. (laughs) Um, And the younger you are, the more you think you know, right? And so it was just very humbling for me to say like, okay, at Cutco, I was very, very good at sales and building rapport with people and selling. It was this entire operational framework I had no clue about. I was responsible for that acquisition. And then I got transferred over to a little SEAL Team 6 that Michael Dell put together that was responsible for transforming how they went to market. So Dell always went to market direct. So if you want to buy a Dell laptop, you go to Dell Directed. Or if you're a company that wants to buy storage and server, you go to Dell. And Michael, after taking the company private that same year that he acquired us, he then said, we're also going to go to market through a reseller, through a distribution network. So that way they get more scale. So I was responsible for Japan and so Asia Pacific and Japan, as well as Brazil and Latin America for that transformation for about two years. Awesome. Sounds like uh, that was a great ride. Now, you took that into an opportunity at DocuSign. I'm curious, like, what made you move from Dell to DocuSign? And then naturally, everybody wants to hear about the ride at DocuSign and what it was like. So tell us about making that move and then your experiences at DocuSign. Yeah, absolutely. So one of our venture capitalists at Wise, he was also an investor at DocuSign. And so he and I kept in close contact once uh, Wise was acquired. And there was this little company emerging in San Francisco named DocuSign. And the CEO of DocuSign was a gentleman by the name of Keith Kroc. Keith is um, a very, very notable icon in Silicon Valley. He started, I mean, first vice president of General Motors and started a company called Rasna, sold it at like 20-something years old for half a billion dollars. Then he was the first entrepreneur in residence at Benchmark. It's one of the largest venture capital firms. Then he started a company called Ariba. He took that public for $40 billion. That's where he became a billionaire. Uh, Then he became a chairman of the board of trustees at Purdue University, Angie's List. The the list goes on. And and he's currently now the undersecretary of state in the administration. And so he was looking for a chief of staff. And so the investor at Wise, which was the investor at DocuSign, said, you should meet Mike. He's currently chief of staff at Dell. And that's where we met. And my responsibility with him was anything and everything from A through Z. So I was basically an extension of Keith. He couldn't be everywhere at all times. He couldn't do everything on his plate. And so um, I was just I was just a shadow of Keith. It's incredible that you were essentially recruited into some really high-profile roles or given such really high-profile opportunities at the companies that you were at. Very early here, you know, after college, you're still in your 20s and you're getting these big, giant opportunities you know, put in your lap. And it just, it says something about you and how you positioned yourself or, you know, how you set yourself apart, you know, as a key player, you know, what was it about you that you think these guys saw in you, Michael Dell and Keith Kroc and others, what did they see in you to give you these big opportunities? Good question. I think that I really love the definition, 
what some people define as luck of preparation meets opportunity, right? Um, I think that's a big factor in it. At Wise, the CEO at Wise that went on to lead the uh, group at Dell, his name is Tarkin Manor. Although he hired me to Wise, he was the CEO of the organization. He was very busy. I was in a in a functional role. So I was not chief of staff when I got hired, but I worked extremely hard. So I was the first one in, the last one out, right? When the company needed someone to do something that didn't fall in someone's role and responsibility, I raised my hand, right? I made sure that I was always on time. I made sure that I was a quick learner. I made sure that anything that was asked of me, I delivered 110%. And so what happened was one day at Wise, for example, I was there at eight o'clock at night working because the CEO was still in the office. I saw his corner office. And so as he was walking out, he saw me there. He goes, hey, Mike, right? No, Mike, what are you doing here still? I said, I'm just still working. He was like, well, you know, we just acquired a small startup here at Wise. Do you want to go with us to the celebration day? Right? And I'm like, oh my goodness, the CEO is inviting me out to dinner with the company we just acquired. This is insanity. You know, this is crazy. And so some people could call that luck. Some people says it's preparation meets opportunity, right? And so forth, right? Also at Dell, when I became the chief of staff in our group, I asked for the opportunity. So I was vulnerable enough to, or crazy enough, or naive enough is probably the right word to say, give me a shot at this opportunity. Like, let me try, right? And I think that's what Cutco taught me. I think Cutco really, really, really gave me that foundational framework to say that if you could dream it, you could probably become it, right? And so I asked for that opportunity, right? Like you're not going to ever marry that dream person in your life unless you ask, right? And so that's kind of the way that I thought about that opportunity. And then at DocuSign, the way that opportunity came about, yeah, sure, someone connected the dots for me, right? But I prepared, 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 and I was very strategic. So I knew Keith Kroc, who he was, and I was strategic at hitting him from a lot of other angles of people that I met in Silicon Valley saying, here's an email that I've drafted for you. Do you mind sending this to Keith and saying what you think about me, right? Sending Keith an email two nights before that we met, Keith, uh, here is my resume, blah, blah, The night before we met, Keith, I just saw that you announced this on, on Bloomberg. Um, it's a great thing. Also, you should check out this link. So I was very creative and strategic about those things, right? And so, yes, yeah, so a bit of luck, a bit of opportunity, a lot, a lot of preparation, like a quick tip of mine that I tell all my mentees and anyone I speak with is, so when I interviewed with Keith and he loves the story, he was like, so tell me, Mike, what do you think about uh, leadership? And I was like, oh, leadership. It's all about building a high performance team, right? You're only as good as the people that you bring on board. You, and then he's like, T- tell me what you think about, about hyper growth. And, I'm, and I'm, I'm giving him all these answers. I'm giving him all these answers. I'm giving him all these answers. He's like, Mike, these answers are the best answers I've ever heard in my entire life. Like, I'm blown away. This is insanity. Like, you are the best person I've ever interviewed in my entire life. I was like, thank you, Keith. <laughs> what you didn't know is I spent the last week on repeat, listening to every single YouTube video that he's ever put out. Every <laughs> single, so, so all of his answers, he's already given out there. They're all <laughs> so I just studied them. I put them into my own words and I got the job, right? Now you could say that I wasn't true to myself. I was a lot younger, blah, 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 but it works, right? And so <laughs> it's like anytime I ever meet a customer or an investor or whatever, I do my research, right? I do my research. And so... Mm. So I think a lot of that's how I landed these opportunities. Yeah, that's pretty cool to hear. So I would love to hear more about the uh, ride at DocuSign and just uh, 
what it was like taking it from essentially, you know, zero valuation up to what it is now, 15 billion. Tell us a little bit about that path. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of different ways that I could go about this, but I, um, I would say first and foremost, we had a real, real problem market fit. Uh, there's a lot of companies out there in the Valley that a lot of people are solving for a lot of things. Not a lot of them are real problems. And so we had the perfect storm that when I joined DocuSign in 2014, there was a big opportunity that everybody was trying to digitize everything that they were doing. The iPhone was getting more and more prevalent. People were trying to digitize and streamline and automate more of their functions and processes. And people hated paper. And so we just were in the perfect place at the right time with the right product. And so I would say the first thing was the problem market fit. We had an ideal problem market fit. The second thing was our go-to-market, right? So we just had an excellent go-to-market strategy that just said... uh, in order for us to become a verb, and that was our goal, was to be like Q-tip or FedEx or whatever else, Kleenex, etc. We had to really get all the largest Fortune 100 companies as customers of ours, right? Um, so that was just a strategy. And then we also wanted to be the global standard, right? Um, so these were very, very critical things that we rolled out. Maybe a couple nuggets is we always try to hire the impossibles, right? So when we were looking for a CFO or COO or head of product or whatever it was, we, we would literally cold email like the CFO of Google, right? And the CFO of Facebook and all these people just be like, hey, we're DocuSign. Maybe you've heard about us, right? We'd love to interview you. It's a great opportunity, right? And between us and everyone else listening to this, the way we saw it was a couple things. One, if they speak to us, we get to tell them why our company is so amazing. And the worst case is we don't hire them because we can't hire 20 CFOs. But now we have 19 sales cycles at Fortune 100 companies that they may now want to use our product. Mm. So we saw this as a top-down sales approach as to how do we engage all these companies? Well, we could send them a sales email to try to engage them. Or we send them an email saying, we'd like to interview you. You're the CFO. If it doesn't work out and you're the CFO at Delta Airlines, right? Now you know a lot about our product. Wouldn't you want to go roll that out at Delta? Right. And so that was a very neat initiative of how we thought about always bringing on new team members. Our investment strategy was very strategic. Keith always said, keep your friends close and your potential enemies closer. And so we basically knew that there were certain companies that could get into our space of e signature Microsoft, Dell, Google. Salesforce.com, Visa, uh, FedEx, right? All these companies could overnight. SAP. So what did we do? We called them. We said, do you want a great investment opportunity? Do you want to invest in our company? And they all said yes. And so now that they had a stake of our company, why would they ever focus and take those resources of competing against us? Mm. You look at our valuation today of $15 $15 billion and we're the market leader, right? 90% market share. It's a verb now. And everyone always asks on our earnings calls and whatnot, how in the world has Salesforce or someone else not got into this space? And it's, well, they are in this space. They're in the DocuSign space. They're, our, they're investors bars. They're equity shareholders bars, right? Mm. And so just a lot of key strategies like that, right? When we went international, we really studied the market as to what other... SaaS, software as a service companies, cloud companies have gone international and they failed at it. And why did they do that? What can we learn from that? So we called around a lot. Companies like 
Box, right? And others that we said, hey, you guys went to Germany. Didn't really work out that well. You guys are no longer there. Why? You know, they would say, well, we hired 10 people, a lot of budget, a lot of regulatory stuff, so forth and so forth. So what we realized was, do you know what? We should actually strategically partner with companies that are there to bring DocuSign to the market. And once we get a little bit of momentum and we're rounding first base, then we should plant feet on the street, right? Mm -hmm. And then have a, put a flag on the ground once we have some momentum there. So that's a little bit, Dan, of kind of a bunch of stuff that we did during those years to grow it from really nothing to what it is today, 5,000 people strong. Yeah, incredible, incredible. And, and it's, it's awesome, Mike, just to, to know that uh, you were a really key part of making those strategic decisions. I mean, I know you weren't the CEO, but you were his right-hand guy for three years, and then you were a global VP after that, and you brought in your own replacement, right? Hero Rodriguez, who we've also had on this podcast, old Cutco guy. And so like, you played a huge role in making all of that happen successfully. And that's, uh, it's just really amazing to consider how someone so young could be such a key player in this process. So well, I'm, I think very, I'm very impressed. Yeah, I think it's all credit on that journey really goes to Keith Kroc, right? He's my mentor, one of my best friends, my brother, my brother from another mother. I admire so much about Keith and he was just patient with me as a mentor. He was all about productive conflicts. So when he saw me missing the mark of excellence, he was quick to coach me and lead me and inspire me as to how to get better, right? So uh, managers manage and they tell you the function that you play. Leaders inspire and they play on your motives. And so he really inspired me. He really taught me what it was to be a leader and not a manager. So all credit really goes to him. That's amazing. Awesome. Great to hear. So during the latter stages at DocuSign, you began getting involved in angel investing. Mm-hmm. And I know you've sort of put together, kind of loosely put together some groups of people that have done some investing. You have been an investor in Blue Bottle Coffee, which I think most of our listeners will have heard of before. You've been an investor in Impossible Foods, which I think all of our listeners will have heard. Now a three billion dollar valuation. And these are just a couple of the success stories of companies you've invested in. And now you're starting your own private equity company called Garden City. So I think uh, what people would love to hear now is, uh, you know, what do your days look like now as the, you know, founder of, uh, of your own private equity company? Yes. Great question. The investing really started when I was in uh, Silicon Valley and there were just so many great leaders starting so many great things all around. And I just saw the same type of opportunity that DocuSign had in a lot of these um, industries, a real problem market fit that they were actually solving for a real life problem. Number two is that they had the right leader at the helm. So someone that could actually execute the vision. And then number three, that they actually had the right strategy as to how to make that happen. And so, yeah, we started investing in, in, the Impossible Burgers and called Impossible Foods. Yeah, Blue Bottle Coffee, Sales Loft, that is a B2B company now worth about a billion dollars as well. And it really sparked something inside of me that I was just really excited about working with these companies, helping them grow from similar early stages of DocuSign was to eventually becoming a behemoth, right? 
and really becoming the standard in their industry and achieving excellence. And so something just started brewing up inside of me when I saw DocuSign go public and now get bigger and bigger and bigger. And I kind of realized my passion, the, the yearning in my heart really lies in seeing small things flourish, right? And so I was working out one morning and kind of a light bulb hit and I started thinking about a couple of things. One was that my family always has been a working class-like industry, kind of trying to just stay afloat, worrying about the next paycheck, where that's going to come from. Some people call that kind of survival mode, right? It's really, really difficult. And so I've always had it on my heart that at some point in my life, I want to help the working class thrive and prosper and flourish. People that are hourly workers type of people, general labor, I want to see them I want to see them pursue excellence because they want to pursue excellence. They want to be part of the purpose. They want to be part of the mission. What would that look like to unleash their potential and allow them to thrive? So that was something really heavy in my heart. Number two is I've always had a crazy deep passion and excitement for boring, unsexy service businesses, car washes, dry cleaners, landscape companies, you name it, right? Just companies that we see all around. And being in the Valley, I've seen how every company goes into old school industries and disrupts it. And so I've always had this passion about if I lived a thousand years, I would just, I would just be involved with small businesses all day, turn on a couple of things for their culture so that their culture is amazing and their people have a place of purpose and a place of belonging. And then I would turn on the faucet for technology enablement and modernize and transform it, right? And then a couple other things started going through my head as I was like, man, I have a lot of people that continue to tell me, hey, Mike, if you ever do something on your own, I'd love to back you. I'd love to support you. And so that was the vision of Garden City, was to create a holding company that exists to enrich the lives of the working class. And we do that by acquiring family-owned service businesses. And once we acquire them, we'll put a culture where it's all about purpose and belonging and excellence. And we will technology enable the company through all their operations and processes and systems. And unlike private equity, if you're not familiar with it, you buy a company, you cut a lot of costs, and you flip it in three to five years. With us, we buy a company, we invest, invest, invest into it, and we hold it forever in perpetuity. Mm -hmm. So we want to create whatever industries we go into, pest control, air conditioning, HVAC, home care, cleaning companies. We buy these companies to eventually have them be the best cleaning company, the best pest control company in the entire world. Mm -hmm. You can't do that in three to five years. So this is not just a pure profit play at all for us. This is about creating the next Cutco-like companies of the world, right? Right. All with the mission that the people that work there, it's the best shop that they could ever dream of in their entire life. That's awesome. I've always envisioned that the Cutco culture could be brought to so many other different types of companies. And you have an opportunity to actually do that here. That's exactly it. There's just a lot of industries out there where small businesses, they don't say small on purpose, right? And so there's just such a value that could be added. I mean, we've all gone to the hotel that we're like, man, if they just did this, this, and this, their business would double, right? Or we all go into all these businesses that if they just change their market and they just change their brand and they just make it easier to find their pricing and so forth, right? And so that's what we do. So there's Baby boomers, uh, they started more businesses than any other generation in our country's history. It's called the silver tsunami. And so now all these baby boomers have to do something with their businesses. So they are looking for someone to transition and sell their business to. 
Mm-hmm. So Garden City offers them a unique really plan and say, hey, we will acquire your business from you. We'll be good stewards of it. We'll invest into it and allow you to be proud of your legacy and we'll make it the most caring and the most innovative service company that you've ever seen. So that's what I am launching. We've raised over uh, $25 million to go and buy these uh, service companies. All of our investors are all aligned to want to create the best holding company in the entire world, right? Where the working class thrives. And so it's a really, really unique opportunity I'm excited for. It's like the early days of Berkshire Hathaway, it sounds like, Mike. That's our goal. Our goal is to (laughs) build a better holding company than Berkshire someday. (laughs) <laughs> that's awesome that's awesome well you are you are the 31 year old version of warren buffett right now so that's pretty cool to oh, hear we got a long way to go still got a long way to go yeah yeah well mike for anybody who is a, you know a young entrepreneur listening to the podcast I, i'd love for them to be able to get a little more into your head on you know what you feel like are some of the key success factors that will enable the young leaders of the future to be as successful as you've been what do you think some of the things come to mind? Yeah. One big thing is just authenticity, right? Just you were made regardless of what you believe. I believe God made each and every one of us in a very unique way, right? And so don't try to be someone that you're not. Right? People, especially in today's day and age where they hide behind a lot of masks and a lot of different personalities, be yourself. I mean, people thrive and love authenticity. Right. And so now when I'm in this private equity world, although it's more permanent than private equity, all these investors I meet, they're expecting a private equity guy to come in from Harvard Business School and wear a suit and whatnot. And I'm wearing my Converse and I'm wearing my jeans and I'm wearing my vest and I drive into my Jeep Grand Cherokee and I'm like, this is who I am. I still have a stutter problem. I still have my deep insecurities about where I come from. I still, blah, blah, blah. This is who I am. And as soon as they see that you're not trying to put a front and you're trying to just be like everyone else, that speaks more volume than anything, right? So I think just authenticity builds character. So that, mm-hmm. that's a huge thing is, is really search deep down inside of really who did God make you to be and just become the best version of yourself. But there's a key thing in that, yourself, right? Not become the best version of whatever is out there, but the best version of yourself. So that's one. Number two is seek wise counsel. Just really, I mean, that's, that's one thing that I probably have too much of, right? Too much of. It takes, I mean, just today, one of my board members, I spent two and a half hours with him today. He's the founder of the Ritz-Carlton Group, Hort Schultze. Everyone at Cutco should read his book called Excellence Wins. It's phenomenal. Excellence Wins is my favorite business book by Hort Schultze. But I spent two and a half hours with Hort today, right? Just seeking wisdom, seeking wisdom, seeking wisdom, right? I mean, I constantly... in I probably do it too much, to be honest with you, but in any typical day, I'm probably spending a couple hours a day with mentors and just learning, 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 learning. And I've always done that from day one. So surround yourself. My mom always said, tell me who you walk with and I'll tell you who you are. There's a lot of other quotes out there about that you're the average sum of the seven people that you surround yourself with and so forth. I so believe in that with every ounce of my being, right? Mm-hmm. So that's number two. Number three is I would say, hard work. I mean, anything that is worth doing takes hard work. One of our family values for my two children, my wife and I, is give it your best, right? Don't do anything half, right? Give it your best. I learned a, a couple of years ago not to give anything my all because when you give anything your all, you're left with nothing left to give, 
And the biggest, most important things in life to me are my faith, my family, my friends, my community, right? So if I give Cutco or if I give Dell or DocuSign or now Garden City my all, I have nothing left to give the things that I'm saying are most important in my life, like my children. So it's stupid, right? And so, but give it your best, right? So give it your absolute best. So when you're committed to something, right? Give it your absolute best. So when I was in Cutco, during my calling hours, it was calling hours, baby. I'm not, I mean, you do not interrupt me. Do not text me. Do not call me. Do not bother me. Do not walk in this room. I am at work. Imagine that my CEO is outside of my door. Are you just going to walk in the room and talk to me? Of course you're not, right? And so when I'm in there, I'm giving it my best. When I'm in my appointment, I'm giving it my best, right? When I'm going through the sets, I'm giving it my best. I'm memorizing those talk tracks from the annual uh, sales conference, right? I'm, I'm trying to get referrals. I'm asking the woman to call the people right there on the spot. I'm giving it my absolute best, right? Now, I'm not giving it my all. I'm not getting my identity in it, but that's, that was a huge one of, of giving it my best. And then the last one that I talked about already is set a vision, just set a vision of excellence set a vision a big hairy bold audacious vision right someone has to be the president of the united states someone has to be warren buffett the richest man in the world someone has to be the number one sales rep in the company someone has to be the number one sales rep in the region someone has to be the number one sales rep in the state someone has to be the number one sales rep in the city someone has to be the number one sales rep in the office right figure out your level of vision right and hold on tightly Wow. Awesome. Awesome. That was some great stuff, Mike. I'm sure that uh, our audience is going to get a lot of great insights from the things you've shared. Hey, so one thing we haven't talked about today is new story. And I'd love to give you a a few minutes to tell us a little bit about your involvement in this uh, very cool nonprofit. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that directly aligns to changing lives and selling knives is when I was at Cutco, I was honestly not generous. I just didn't have that generous bone in me. I wish I did because I think if I was a lot more generous in terms of philanthropic, I think it would have fueled me a lot more actually to want to even strive to higher levels at Cutco, by the way. But some about five to six years ago, my best friend and I, we were just like, hey, there's just a lot of nonprofits that we don't agree with how they go about doing business and we just don't like what they stand for. There's obviously great ones out there, but there was a lot that we just didn't like. And so we said, what do we not like about nonprofits? And we said, one is we don't like kind of that a lot of them you give money into and it goes into a big black hole. You don't know the causes it's going to. Two is we don't know who it actually impacts. So we don't have any proof of who it impacts. Three is we don't know what level of impact our contribution gave to like what needle did it, you know? So if I give a million dollars and I put it into a charity, I don't know what percentage goes to the people that work there. I don't know if it ever went to the field. I don't know who in the field it ever went to. And also we don't like how they're like stuck in like the 1600s, it feels like, you know, like they're just really archaic. And so we were like, well, if we came down from Mars, what would that look like if we created our own nonprofit? And so we created a nonprofit called New Story, New Story. And a new story, we said, we want to eradicate global homelessness from the planet. And so we said, it would be really cool if Dan Cassetta gave $100 and out of that $100, 100% of it went directly to the cause, which the cause is taking people out of homelessness and putting them into a new home. That'd be pretty cool. Another cool thing would do if Dan went online to actually give that $100, he would actually see that exact family that he's donating to. That'd be pretty cool. Once Dan saw that family, gave the money, 
Then he would get a video a couple of weeks later of the family moving from their tent slum, homelessness, over into a beautiful new home. So he would have the video proof of where his contribution actually went to. That would be pretty cool. Mm -hmm. And then after that is once the family is actually in their new home, we actually take baseline data to tell you before they were home, before when they were homeless, they were the children were sleeping X hours a night. Here was their education level. Here was their finance level. Here was your healthcare level, et cetera, et cetera. Now that they have safe shelter, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, food, water, shelter, here's the incremental impact, right? And so that's what we created five years ago. And we set a big vision and we said, we want to be the most innovative nonprofit in the world. So uh, we, we committed ourselves to that and we applied to something in Silicon Valley called Y Combinator. Mm -hmm. uh, it's the most prestigious startup accelerator in the world. I think now they've birthed, I think, $17 billion startups, a lot that we've heard of like Airbnb and Dropbox and Stripe and others. And so we applied as a charity, crazy, crazy, crazy enough. And we prepared a lot. We were strategic and we got accepted as a nonprofit. And since then, we basically have now built about 3,000 new homes across Haiti and El Salvador and Mexico and Bolivia. And then about two years ago, we said, hey, let's think even bigger. Let's actually, instead of building our own homes, why don't we enable and equip every other nonprofit in the housing sector space to help them build homes cheaper, build it better, and build it with better quality? So we said, let's create a 3D home printer. That's the only thing we could think of. It takes eight weeks to build a house and $6,000. What about if it took 24 hours to build a house and half that cost? Mm -hmm. So we we're crazy and it's crazy until it's not, right? It's crazy until it's not. And we said, let's challenge the status quo. And we created a 3D home printer that literally like an ice cream self-serve machine pours out wet cement and it prints the entire structure of the house, including all the walls, including the window frames, including the door frames and everything else by itself through a machine with no labor. And then once it prints it, after it's dry, the local labor in Mexico comes out, they screw on the doors, bzz, 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 they put on the roof, they tighten up the screws and an entire house is printed. And wow. so we created that at South by Southwest two years ago. And we just, as we sit here today, we are printing the world's first ever 3D printed community in history in Mexico. And Apple just did a documentary on us. It, it gets a release next month in April. It's going to be on Apple Plus. It's going to be called Home, H-O-M-E. And yeah, and so that's what we're doing. We're 3D printing houses. And you can 3D print a house for what cost? Right now, because it's our first time ever doing this in history. It's about equal to the same cost that it was when we were doing it through the old school labor way. So about a six to $10,000 per house. Obviously, every single house that we build, the cost goes down because we're learning more and more about the process. So our ultimate goal is to build houses for about $3,000 a house. Wow. Amazing. That's yeah. awesome. And, and how can listeners support New Story, Mike? You just Google just a New Story, N-E-W Story be the first thing that pops up. If you want to watch a cool video, just go to YouTube and check out New Story 3D and you'll watch some pretty cool videos. I think we have a couple million views now. It's just super cool stuff. It just shows you the innovation of nonprofits and the future there. Last thing is, there's a great quote says, you make a living from what you get, but you make a life from what you give, right? So you make a living from what you get, but you make a life from what you give, right? And so for me, it's all about giving. Right? It's giving my time, my resources, my capital, 
et cetera, et cetera, so I can make a life out of that. Outstanding, Mike. Well, this has been amazing. I'm sure people will get a ton out of this conversation. Just want to really compliment you for all the amazing success you have have had and all of the ways in which you're leveraging that success to help other people both through your you know new company that you're forming, through New Story, and just the influence that you've had on so many others, both in and out of the Cutco community. And so thank you so much for making time to be on the podcast today. I know this is going to be an episode that people really enjoy and get a lot out of. Great. Thank you very much. So happy to be part of the Cutco family. Awesome. Wow, that was Mike Arietta, everyone. What an incredible conversation that was toward the end where I asked Mike about some of the uh, insights he would have for people that want to achieve some of the same success as he has had. He first mentioned authenticity and the importance of becoming the best version of yourself, not a version of someone else, not trying to be someone you're not not trying to misrepresent who you are so that you feel like you are attracting certain kinds of people, but they're being attracted to something that's not you if you do that. Being the best version of yourself, apart, by the way, of Mike, becoming the best version of himself was an inflection point that he described where he left Cutco. And for many of you, if you're listening to this and you are a Cutco rep, there's going to come a point where you decide, hey, is this a place I want to stay? Or, you know, do I want to go somewhere else? And Mike described being able to envision taking a couple steps back to take a lot more steps forward. And that's a great path. It's been an amazing path for Mike. has been an amazing path for many, many other highly successful people. There's a lot of other people on this podcast, half the episodes, right? All of our Monday odd numbered episodes are people who are still in Cutco, who reached that inflection point and decided they were going to stay here and grow their authentic self here in the Cutco Vector Company. And both paths can be amazing for you in your life, but figuring out, right, what is it that you want? What is your correct path? That that level of becoming the best version of yourself, authenticity, that's key. Mike describes seeking wise counsel that he had exposure as a Cutco rep to so many amazing individuals and a curiosity to really connect and get to know people. That begins to open those doors. Of course, he had a chance for some amazing coaching from incredible leaders like Keith Kroc, and he was very, very strategic about getting into Keith's world. So think about right now who you are around, who can be the most profound influencers in your life, and how can you get more exposure to them? How can you be around them more and get more insights from them? I love the fact that Mike talked about hard work because there's no secret that that's a big part of what it takes. Mike exhibited that as a Cutco rep. I love where he was talking about, you know, how when people asked about, you know, who could do more projects or take on more things, he said, I raised my hand. That's what he said. He also said, I asked, I asked for more responsibility. I asked for more opportunity. Of course, Mike also talked about the vision. Really cool to hear his vision with Garden City right, of taking companies, acquiring them, inserting the right culture in that organization, taking elements of the Cutco culture and other things that Mike has learned over the years, bringing those into these companies and technology enablement as well, being a part of that vision to help those companies take it to a higher level and benefit all the people who are a part of it. 
And then, of course, his vision with New Story, nothing short of to eradicate homelessness, right? That is a grand, amazing, big vision that's inspiring to Mike and to everybody who is a part of supporting New Story. Hey, this episode is totally worth sharing. Please make sure you share this episode with people. Pick three people in your life you feel like could benefit from getting to know Mike Arietta. Tell them about this episode. Share this episode with them. Take five seconds on your podcast player right now to hit the five rating for this podcast. And if you're so inspired to write a review, just a sentence or two is all it takes. It does help spread the word about the podcast to others. Thank you so much for supporting the podcast, everyone. There's a lot of great people out there who sold knives and nowadays are changing lives. Mike Arietta is just one amazing example of so many. And uh, we appreciate the support and uh, look forward to uh, sharing with you another story soon. Have a fantastic rest of your day. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's episode of Changing Lives, Selling Knives, hit the subscribe button so future episodes are automatically downloaded directly to your device. And if you want access to today's show notes, including links to any resources mentioned, visit changinglivespodcast.com. This is Dan Cassetta signing off. I'll catch you back here in a few days for our next story about changing lives.